Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods in worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. So every night I uh, get this notification on my phone that tells me the weather report for the next day. So I got one last night as usual and it tells me that it's going to be between 30 to 40 degrees. Winter is cold. Now, in past years, I've been forgetting how or surprised at how cold winter can get. Now, you know, I've lived on the East Coast my entire life, so I know winter is cold, but still, when I step out into the cold and that blast of cold air hits my face, you know, I start to think, you know, I, I should have worn more, I should have worn that scarf, I should have brought that extra thicker jacket. Part of the reason is because I've forgotten how cold maybe the the last year's winter was, or maybe I forgot how cold winter is because I've been through the warmth of the summer. Now, when I'm talking about forgetting here, I'm not talking about it in a cognitive sense, but in a sense that shows a behavioral disconnect from reality, such that, you know, what I know doesn't translate to what I do. 
Uh, it's not as if I like literally forgot that winter is cold and that summer is hot. But the result here is that you know I don't recognize the dependence on thicker clothes. I I'm kind of stubborn. I, I think you know I kind of man up. I've got enough natural insulation, so I don't need a, a warmer jacket or anything like that. Now this year it's been a, a little bit easier to bundle up because I've remembered how cold it can get. Even when I'm going through the warmth of the summer, I remember how cold winter can get. And therefore, what I know translates to what I do. And here again, when I talk about remembering, it's not just in a cognitive sense, it's a behavioral connection to reality. It's an, it's an action. I know winter is cold, and therefore, I recognize this dependence on needing to wear a scarf or uh, wear my North Face fleece jacket or whatever. But there's always this temptation, even in these silly matters for you know, pride or self-sufficiency, thinking that, you know, I can do it, or I don't need a jacket, or I don't need anything like that. It's not that cold. I can handle it. And when I talk about this language of remembering and forgetting, to remember, to remember is to act. And this is kind of what we'll see in our passage today. And this is how the Bible uses this language of remembering and forgetting. I mean, to give you an example, I mean, we just had communion last week. And when we take communion, we read from the scriptures and we see that Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. I think the way most of us sees this phrase is saying we, we drink the cup and eat the bread and then we think about what Jesus did on the cross. Or we think about the Last Supper. And, you know, that's good, but it doesn't stay there. It's an action. It's to act upon our memory. So remembering it works itself out in, in worship, in trust, in obedience. To give you another example, when Moses calls upon God to remember the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before he's about to punish Israel for their sin, he's not saying, you know, God, I know, I know you're all omniscient, I know you're all knowing, but maybe, maybe just this one thing might have slipped your mind, so I'm just going to bring it to your attention. No, he's saying to act upon this covenant, to not wipe out Israel, to completely punish them for their sin. Otherwise, no Israel, no covenant. So likewise, a failure to remember is also unfaithfulness and disobedience. So with this analogy that I'm talking about, winter remembering is an action. Works, working itself out in a, in a dependence on, you know, in this case, warmer clothing or scarves or mittens or whatever. Now, in today's passage, we're going to see that we should remember God in both the the hard times of the past and to not forget Him in the good times of the future. Now, Moses begins our passage today with a command for obedience, and this is verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Now, to give you some background, Israel is now on the verge of entering into the promised land. And so they are theologically at the same point as they were at Kadesh. And Kadesh was the place where they sent the spies into Canaan. And the spies came back and they're thinking, oh, this place is 
uh, this land is full of blessing. But there's all these inhabitants. And so even though, God, you're telling us to go in and possess the land, we're going to rebel. We're not going to trust your word. We're not going to go in. And therefore, they get punished. They get, they don't, they're excluded from the promise. They can't inhabit the land, at least those people. And so the question now for Moses is whether or not Israel is going to repeat the same mistake. See, this is Moses is basically his last sermon, his farewell address to Israel. And he's exhorting them to hold fast to the covenant, to cling to the covenant, to continue to obey God. Because the beginning of Deuteronomy is all about what God has done for Israel. Not because Israel deserved it, but because of God's grace. And now Israel must reciprocate that relationship in obedience. And we see even at the beginning of Deuteronomy in chapter 1 verse 2, it says, It is 11 days journey from Horeb, where they are, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So what was an 11 day journey from where their fathers were to where they are now actually became a 40 year journey. Not because their camel died or they they got lost, but because of punishment and sin and rebellion. So Moses is exhorting them, warning them to continue to obey. Now the purpose of obedience here is, we see this in the last half of verse 1, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. That you may live and multiply. I mean, it's essentially to live long and prosper. To live long and prosper. To be included in the second promise. To inhabit that land. So Moses begins our passage today with a command for obedience, and then he ends it with a consequence for disobedience. Verses 19 to 20. If you forget the Lord your God, and here forgetting again is not just a cognitive thing, it's an action. If you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Israel is going to perish like the other nations if it behaved like them. They're going to be excluded from the second promise, the land. They're not going to be able to dwell in the land. They're going to be kicked out. They're going to perish. They're going to be excluded from God. So Moses brackets this section today with a command for obedience and a consequence for disobedience. And he goes on to say that to obey is to remember, again in action, to recognize their dependence on God. This is verses 2 to 18. Today we're going to see two points of contrast. One I've already talked about, this language of remembering and forgetting. We're also going to see that he contrasts talking about the wilderness and then the promised land. He talks about the wilderness and he talks about the promised land and back and forth. So the first thing you see is that Moses exhorts Israel to remember their dependence on God in the wilderness. This is verses 2 to 6 and 14 to 16. See, the wilderness was not just a punishment for sin and rebellion, but also a place for learning. It was to test the faith and obedience of Israel. Verse 2, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. 
whether you would keep his commandments or not. It was, to, it was so that Israel would know their dependence on God. Verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now what other way to test obedience and dependence than to know that the one that you depend on the one who literally hands you food and feeds you. Because our basic necessity is food and hunger is a test. We remember that with the manna, the manna was also not only to show dependence, but also a test of obedience. Because they weren't to collect on the Sabbath day. They were to collect a double portion the day before. But what did Israel do? They didn't trust God. They didn't follow his command. They went out on the Sabbath thinking that there would be manna, and there wasn't. They disobeyed him. They didn't trust him. In today's passage, we see that the wilderness was a place of testing. A place of testing that actually ended up producing blessing in the end. He fed them. He clothed them. Verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you. He sustained them. Your feet did not swell these 40 years. He saved them. Later on, verse 14, He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He protected them through the great and terrifying wilderness with its serpents and scorpions and where there was no water. He, he gave you water and He fed you. It was so that He might humble and test you and also that He could do them good in the end. So Moses exhorts Israel to remember their dependence on God in the wilderness. And now we see that Moses also exhorts Israel to not forget their dependence when they enter into the promised land. Because he knows that the land is good. Verses 7 to 10, it says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. The natural response is you're going to eat and be full and you're going to bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. The land is good. The land is so good that it could produce testing. So whereas the wilderness was a a place of testing and it ended up producing blessing in the end, Moses is warning them that the promised land, a place of blessing could actually produce testing and temptation for Israel. Because the danger, the danger is pride and self-sufficiency. In verse 17 it says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Again, it's it's a heart issue, not, not a memory issue. Not to say that, like, it's not to say that God, or Israel forgot God, that they didn't exist, or He didn't exist. But it's a pride issue, it's a heart issue. It's to say in their heart that they got to where they are because of what they did. Now he says in verses 7 to 9, where he describes the natural resources of the land, it's easy to say, 
when for Israel when they entered the land that you know this is God's gift to us. Look how look how great this is. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But what happens when they start to make productive use of the land? When they start to you know roll up their sleeves and when they start to sweat, when they start to toil the land and, and to put all their effort. When you have eaten in our folders, verse 12, and have built good houses and live in them. When your herds and flocks multiply, where your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the, all the things that the Lord your God has done for you. And you say in your heart, I did this. And so Moses is exhorting them to, to remember and to respond. To remember and to respond. Verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. That He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers, and it is this day. It's God who brought them to where they are now. He has not only given them this wealth, but He has even given them the power, the ability to get this wealth, to see this blessing. So we see that Israel is on the verge of entering the promised land. Moses knows the promised land is going to be good. So good that it can cause Israel to forget their God. And by forgetting meaning to disobey Him, to not trust or worship Him, to fail to recognize their dependence on Him. So Moses exhorts Israel to remember their God who was there in the wilderness, who's going to be there in the promised land. And this remembering is a call to action, to worship, to trust, to obey Him, so that it may go well with them, so that they can live and multiply, so that they can basically live long and prosper. Because long life was a sign of blessing in the Old Testament. Moses lived a long life, Abraham lived a long life, Joshua lived a long life, Noah lived a long life. It was so that they could be included in the second promise of, of receiving the land and continuing to dwell in the land. So what does this mean for us today? I think we also need to remember God in the hard times of the past and not forget God in the good times of the future. But not just any hard time or any good time. You know, we've been going through this series of the Bible as one big story and talking about these three promises, which we should, most of us should all know by now. You got descendants and land and blessing to the nations. And as we've talked about the third promise of being a blessing to the nations, of carrying the good news to, to our neighbors, to our coworkers to the ends of the earth. I think there's at least two ways we can think of this good promise, or of the third promise. The first one is, is receiving it, because we are beneficiaries of the third promise. What do I mean by that? For one thing, we see that Israel is the beneficiary of the second promise. They are the ones who receive this land as a gift from God. I mean, Israel was brought out of the bondage of slavery. And now they're on the verge of living in prosperity, of living in this land of blessing, in the promised land. 
They see what God has done for them and now they are to reciprocate in obedience so that they can live long and prosper. The consequence for disobedience is punishment, judgment, exclusion from the land. And again, the danger for them is pride and self-sufficiency, thinking that they did it and not God. In the same way, we are beneficiaries of the third promise. I mean, the command is to go out and bless the nations, but we are the nations to a certain extent. It was always to, to begin with Israel, from Israel to go out to the Gentiles, and we are the Gentiles. So in one aspect of the third promise, we receive it. We've been brought out of bondage to sin in the same way that Israel has been brought out of bondage to slavery. Now we live with these spiritual blessings of not being under the law, living by the Spirit, being able to be sanctified and glorified. And again, for us, obedience is a reciprocation in our covenantal relationship with God. So that we can also live on and prosper, but not some sort of live on and prosper here on earth in, in a health and wealth gospel type of way, but, you know, in the kingdom, of course. And the consequences for us, for disobedience, if we don't bear the fruit of our faith, is punishment and judgment, exclusion from this promise and the blessings of God. The danger for us is also pride and self-sufficiency. In a culture where our success is measured by our achievements, it can be easy to think that we deserve salvation. We go to church, we tithe, do offering, we serve. I mean, it's a fine line. It can be easy to think that we've done all these good things, therefore we deserve, we deserve to go into heaven. So we are beneficiaries of the third promise. But we are also benefactors of the third promise. We see that Israel carried out the second promise. They were to go in and possess the land. That was in verse 1. To go possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And the danger for them also is pride and self-sufficiency thinking that when you have built the houses, when you have gone into the land and driven out the inhabitants, when your flock and everything you own is multiplied, that you say in your heart that you did this. Now we've been pushing this this five-year focus of how we can use our vocations for God. We've been pushing this idea of, of how we are called to go be ministers of the word in whatever context we're in. And we too are to carry out the third promise of being a blessing to the nations. Now for some of us, we may face difficult times when we serve the Lord. God may be calling us to to serve Him and to, to go over to switch jobs. We may face opposition from family members and friends who don't understand. They may think, why do you spend so much time at church when you could spend more time on your family, 
or on your career, getting the next promotion? Or why do you have to move so far away from the rest of us? For those of us who are contemplating relocating, it can be difficult knowing that you know, what awaits us is, is going to be tough. Knowing that the relationships that we have now with our family and our, and our, and our friends may not be the same when we return. We'll have to uproot our kids, uproot our families, find a new system, school system. From, for some of the younger students here, knowing that God may be calling us to change our majors when our parents don't want us to, or to change our majors for, to, to choose a major that isn't the most profitable. Or even for some of us when we're serving in church or our ministry context, whether as a small group leader, whether in some sort of church leadership position, whether we're going out and talking to our classmates and our coworkers and our friends and family and we don't see fruit, it can be tough. We invite them to church and they say no and they just give us the cold shoulder. Or we don't see our small group growing. We see our numbers dwindling. Or we see the connections and relationships. We see the connections and the relationships just suffering to a certain extent. And we know that you know, just as Israel was uh, going through the wilderness to know their, so that they may know dependence on God, you know that these hard times of ministry, hard times of mission, may also be so that we can know dependence on God. So that we might be humbled and not have pride and not consider ourselves to be self-sufficient, but God-dependent. And if we are so... Lucky to be blessed with good times of ministry, where we see lots of fruit, where we see numbers growing, where um, we might even have the Midas touch, where everything we touch turns into such a good time of ministry. People being saved, people being baptized. Let us not forget that it is due to God and not to ourselves. Because I think the danger here is also pride and self-sufficiency, thinking that, you know, I did this, or... My testimony was so eloquent, my rhetoric, my rhetoric was so, so clear, so convincing, that it just saved this person. I saved this person. Or my bridge illustration was just so creative, that they just, it just opened their mind to God's word. I mean, that's kind of an exaggerated example, but... There's always a tendency or a temptation to think that we're doing this and not God. I mean, we do have a responsibility, but we must know that we must give credit to God. To know that it's not my power, not the might of my strength, my, the might of my hand that did this, but God. So our message today is to remember God in those hard times of the past in those hard times of ministry. And when we're called to, to use our vocations for God, to go out and be a minister of God's word. And when things are going well, to not forget Him. And again, remembering forgetting is not just a cognitive thing, it's an action.
to worship, to trust, to obey, to rely on God. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word uh, that speaks truth to the lies of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the passage today, the message today, would uh, not only be a source of, of, of warning, but also a source of encouragement. To know that we do not live on bread alone, but on every commandment, every word that comes from you. And that this would spur us on to, to translate what we know to what we do. That we would continue to obey you, to worship, to trust you. And that if we were to, to face difficult times in ministry or in context where we're serving you, that we would all the more just throw ourselves up on you. If we are so blessed to have good times, where we see fruit, where we see lives being changed, may we not say it's us, but may we say that it's you. In Jesus' name, amen.